Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Amen. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you, guys, those of you who shared this morning. And I know there are many more testimonies out there that didn't get shared on the microphone today, but share them with one another. That's part of how we encourage each other. And I kind of feel like the first sermon of the day has been preached. Like, that was a great sermon on prayer. You know, Justin got us rolling, Kathy and Hannah and all of all of the others who shared really preached a message about continuing in prayer, being steadfast in prayer, sticking with it in simple terms, right? Until you see the answer to the prayer come about, you know, and praying for your loved ones, the people who um, have walked away from the Lord, who don't know the Lord, asking him to intervene and reveal himself to them is so important. Kathy even mentioned the the parable of the persistent widow, maybe in her prayer or one of the things she said. And the whole point of that parable is stick with it. Keep on praying. Your father loves you and, and he will answer your prayers. So that's sermon one. Sermon two is what I'm about to share. It's a little bit different than sermon one and uh, challenging. Are the slides? All right, great. We have slides for sermon number two. So um, what we've been doing the last two weeks in this series is just looking at one passage on prayer. Prayer is kind of all over the Bible, um, and it's such a big topic. I mean, we could talk about it all year, but I had to go somewhere. So I go, why don't we go to what Jesus said about prayer? And so in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15 is our text. We've read it every week. I'm going to read it to you again in a second. And we've made it through verse 13 so far. And what we did was we pulled out eight perspectives to guide us in the practice of prayer. And we'll review those as well before we move forward this morning. But let's read God's word. I'll read it to you. Oh, I forgot to get rid of those black boxes in the corner of that. That's so, that's so horrible. We, we do this picture in picture thing on the, I got to explain it now. <laughs> we do this picture in picture thing on the live stream. And so I put a little black box in the corner of my slides to remind me, don't put text there. And then I delete it before Sunday morning, except when I didn't. I'm so tempted to just get on my phone and fix it. I won't. Let's read God's word. And sometimes distractions happen. On the live stream, it'll look great. Your picture in picture will cover it, right? <laughs> in the room, it's going to look a little odd. And then you'll go, hey, there's a couple of times you put words over that block and we won't be able to read it. Anyways, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't keep babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. 
And then these are the eight perspectives that we pulled out of that passage already in previous weeks. So I'm just going to remind you of them. I'm not going to go back into all of them this week, but they are on the uh, YouTube, the podcast, all the ways that you can see sermons. You can go back and check them out for more details. But one, prayer is rewarding. Two, prayer is for connecting. Three, prayer is for kids. Four, prayer expresses loving awe. Five, prayer surrenders to God. Six, prayer requests provision. Seven, prayer gives and gains forgiveness. And eight, prayer prepares for battle. So that's where we've been. And last week, what we ended with was verse 13 that says, deliver us from the evil one. And now we come to verse 14. Jesus has taught us a little bit about prayer. He's given us a model prayer. And now he comes back around for just a little more teaching. And he says, forgive. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. So this is a, a reiteration and a reinforcement of what was in the model prayer. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We're coming back to perspective number seven. Prayer gives and gains forgiveness, all right? Does that kind of frame where we're at? I hope so. Does it frame where we're at? You're, okay, good. Good, good. Just checking. Um, if Jesus found it important enough to repeat this, I think we need to give it some time as well. And I'm, I'm sure you're so excited because you kind of, you probably know where I'm going. This is a challenging word that Jesus gives, isn't it? If you forgive others, there's, when they sin against you, he'll forgive you. But if you don't, he won't. Okay, here we go. Sermon number two underway. Jesus says it all the time. When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive your sins. In another place, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come offer your gift. (laughs) Whoa, right? (laughs) Your relationship with God is limited by unreconciled relationships with others. Let me me try again. (laughs) Your relationship with God is limited by unreconciled relationships with others. Whether someone has wronged you or you've wronged someone else, you have to take care of it if you want a good relationship with God. That's what Jesus said, right? I don't want to preach it. (laughs) I don't want to be held accountable to it. It's hard, but it's true. And so we need to look at it. We need to embrace it. We need to evaluate ourselves. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. If you pray Jesus model prayer, the Lord's prayer, and you get to this line, it's supposed to do something. It's supposed to remind you of debts people owe you. Ways they've wronged you. It's supposed to remind you of ways you've wronged other people. And it's there to do that so that you can respond to that moment that you can do something about it. You can release forgiveness for someone who's wronged you right in the middle of your prayer time with God, just you and God, except it's not just you and God, is it? It's you and God and all the relationships of your life because he cares about them. 
And so if you need to forgive someone, when you're praying to God and you remember it, you stop and you do that. God, I forgive so-and-so for what they said yesterday. It really hurt my feelings. Forgive them for what they did. And maybe you stop your prayer. Our equivalent to the gift is on the altar. You're in prayer. Whatever posture you do that and whatever place you do that, you're praying and you realize that you did something to someone else yesterday. The appropriate thing, according to what Jesus teaches, is stop praying. Pick up your phone and give them a call and say you're sorry. Or you realize that thing you posted yesterday feels a little different when you come into the presence of a holy God. Hallowed be your name. You're like, oh, that was kind of nasty of me. Stop your prayer. Get on your phone or your computer and delete the post. Or say you're sorry publicly. Or you come to prayer and you recognize the Lord surfaces for you that you are holding a grudge. Let go of the grudge. Let it go. Get over it. (laughs) Set your will to move on and re-engage and reconcile with that person and then come back to prayer. Whatever it is, the point is take care of it. Then return to prayer. You know, relationship issues happen. They just do. And I can think of three ways to deal with it. But when I started thinking about this, I thought of dirty dishes. (laughs) So let's talk about that for a minute. I think there's three ways to have clean dishes in life. One is don't make dirty dishes. You know, that's brilliant. Paper plates, the hand plate, right? The the shirt plate, the sleeve napkin. That's a little different than dishes, but you know what I'm saying, right? I have all sorts of ways I don't make dirty dishes in the first place because I'm lazy and I don't want to do the dishes, right? Two, tidy up as you go. Three, tackle the big mess in the sink. Let's talk about each of these a little bit and try to go, like, where's he going with this? We'll come around, trust me. (laughs) Don't make dirty dishes in the first place, okay? When it comes to relationships, you could actually live and relate to people in a way that doesn't make relationship messes. Oh my gosh. Okay. We're going to, we're going to spend some time on these, but number two, tidy up as you go. Okay. In the kitchen, in the real kitchen, we're not spiritualizing yet. In the real kitchen this morning and many mornings, I make this sandwich that I really like. It's an everything bagel, Colby Jack cheese, merrily discovered in the grocery store recently. And I'm so thankful that she did. It's wonderful. And then an egg with a broken yolk kind of mixed in salt and pepper And then a sausage patty, Jimmy Dean original. I just put that patty in the pan. I squish it flat. I make it bagel size. I got this little egg pan for the egg that makes it just the right size. Because I don't know how to do that without pan the right size. But I do this weird thing. I get it done and I put it all on the bagel. And before I even take the first bite, I bring the, actually while I'm still making the sausage, I bring the egg pan over to the sink And I rinse it, I put a little soap on it, I wash it, I rinse it, and I put it to dry. And then I go back over here, I finish my sausage, it spits on me, it burns me a little, you know, I don't know what I'm doing in the kitchen. And then I get that on the bagel, I go back over to the sink with this, and I scrape all that meat crud off, and I wash it, and I put it to dry. I tidy up as I go. That's how the counter is right now. Two pans, two spatulas, maybe dry, maybe ready for the next sandwich. Ooh, I'm hungry. 
But I tidy up as I go. I'm ready for the next day. In relationships, what if we did this? What if we lived in a way where we notice the small offenses as they happen and we tidy it up? It could work. Works for me with the sandwich. You know, just clean it up whenever you can right away as you go on the fly. Prevent the big mess from happening. Prevent a buildup that leads to a big mess by tidying as you go in your relationships. Think about it. Number three, tackle the big mess in the sink, okay? Sometimes this happens, right? At our house, you come around the corner to get to the part of the kitchen where you'd see the sink. And you come around this corner and you're like, oh, I just want to go back where I came from, right? (laughs) Turn the other way and go out the door, out to the garage and into the yard or something. But um, (laughs) make your kids do it, Elias said. (laughs) Good point. We'll come back to that. Okay. (laughs) But with the dishes, sometimes it just happens, right? You do, you, you do baking, maybe Christmas cookies at Christmas time or whatever, and there's a big mess. Or it built up, it got away from you, and now there's a big mess on the counter and in the sink. And unless you have a lot of disposable income, you don't throw away your dishes, right? You have to wash them. And unless you hate the environment or something, I don't know, throw all that stuff in a landfill every day, that'd be pretty rough. Anyways, you just got to tackle it, right? You come up to the sink, start getting your hands dirty, and you start cleaning one at a time till it's done. You've got to face it and work through it. In relationships, it's no good to run and hide from the big mess. Avoiding people, holding grudges, going to a different church because that person's not there. These are not useful ways to relate. It's not the way that Jesus is talking about living life. And how can you come to him in prayer and say, forgive me my debts as I've forgiven my debtors, if that's the way you're living your life? You can't ask other people to do the work for you in relationships. Maybe I can with dishes because I have kids. (laughs) But I'm responsible for my own relationships, right? I've got to do my own work. I have to do the work of reconciling. Okay, is this biblical? Well, I've got a creative way that I think it really is. We're going to read from Micah chapter 6. This is a familiar verse too, but but these three points are in there. Micah 6, 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil perhaps? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Yuck, no. That's in there, trust me. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Okay, act justly. Don't make dirty dishes. Act justly justly. Don't be offensive, people. (laughs) Don't be easily offended, people. Like when I just said, don't be offensive. Don't be offended easily. Do right by others. This is what the biblical concept of justice is about. Yeah, it's about don't oppress and big scale justice, but it's about one-on-one justice. You be just. Act justly. This is what the Lord requires of you. We could spend all morning on that. We'll keep going. 
Walk humbly. This is tidy up as you go. This means say you're sorry even for the little things. Be humble enough to say you're sorry even when it was little. Be humble enough to see your effect on people. Pride blinds. If you can't see your effect on people, you have at least a blind spot or maybe blinders. We all do. (laughs) See your effect on people. Walk humbly. When their face drops at that thing you said, notice it, right? If people are quick to leave your presence, ask yourself, what effect am I having on these people that they want to get away, right? If you don't have deep relationships and they're all shallow, look at yourself and go, what am I doing? What effect am I having on people that they don't feel like they can open up around me? That's humble. It's humility. Because it takes seeing stuff you don't want to see. Walk in forgiveness toward others. Tidy up as you go. Be humble. Don't let it build up to be big issues. But if it does, love mercy. (laughs) When there is a big mess in the sink, tackle it. All right. News, we've talked about this in this series, but we've all made a big mess in God's sink. We owe him a debt we cannot pay. Remember that from last week? We owe him a debt we cannot pay. We've made a big mess in his sink and we don't actually have the ability to clean it up. But because of what Jesus did, our debt is paid. Remember we called it a balance transfer opportunity last week. He takes our debt on him and our debt is forgiven. The Lord cleans the sink, so to speak, when it comes to our account. He loves to forgive you. It's who he is. He's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's who God is. And so love mercy. Love to be shown mercy. Love to confess your sins and be forgiven by him, but then go be like your father. Love to show mercy to others when they sin against you. So this verse in Micah that we read says, the Lord doesn't need extravagant sacrifices. He doesn't need your uh, religious duties. He wants justice, mercy, and humility. When it comes to praying, the Lord doesn't need eloquent, intense, or lengthy prayers. He wants justice, mercy, and humility. Give him these then give him your prayers. Does that make sense? <laughs> when the order's swapped and you start praying and you notice, what'd we say? Go take care of it. Then give him your prayers. All right. James 4, 6 says this interesting thing. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. Pride makes you an enemy to God. You put yourself in opposition against God when you operate in pride. So if you're too proud to say you're sorry, you made God an enemy. If you're too proud to know you need to say you're sorry, you put yourself in opposition to God, you've made him an enemy. If you're so proud that you're blind to your effect on people, you're making God an enemy. If you're too proud to forgive someone who wronged you, you made God an enemy. 
Did someone drop a pin at the back table? I just pretty sure I could hear it. <laughs> Guilty as charged, right? We all are. But, you know, I might make a joke about it, but we got to sit with that, guys. What Jesus is saying, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven others. It opens a whole can of worms, doesn't it? You really think about it. The flip side in James 4 is that God gives grace to the humble. He exalts the humble. He forgives their sins as they forgive others. He makes them sons and daughters. We talked about this in the series. Co-heirs with Christ to a kingdom of endless riches and glory. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus says that. So there's a promise on the other side of doing some work here. Of humbling ourselves. So good. Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Okay. I think it helps to look at another biblical prayer as an example at this point. It's a deep rabbit hole. I'm going to do my best to hit some highlights. Um, But as I prepared and looked at this passage, I was like, we could do a series on this. Like all summer? We won't. We have other things planned, but so good. Okay. It's Psalm 51. It's a prayer of David. And it's such a good example of a humble repentant prayer, right? Forgive us our debts is asking for forgiveness. It's repentance. Um, And we just talked about humility. It's all in here. Um, Last week, we talked about preparing for battle by praying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Well, David was unprepared for a certain battle. He won a lot of military victories, but when it came to Bathsheba, he was unprepared for that battle. He's on the rooftop He sees her bathing, he likes what he sees, and he's dragged away and enticed by his evil desires. His his desires get the best of him. They tempt him and he acts on it. Not only does he give in to the temptation for adultery, but then he actually partners with the evil one. How far is that from deliver us from the evil one? He partners with the evil one. He literally steals, kills, and destroys her husband to cover it up. And then makes her his own wife. And she conceived. And um, Nathan the prophet confronts David. After all that's happened, David prays this prayer in Psalm 51. I tried to trim a little. (laughs) It's a lengthy passage. Um, I only could trim a few verses because it's so good. I'm going to read it to you almost in its entirety. Stay tuned in. I challenge you to stay tuned in. Often we don't read this long of a, a chunk. And it's easy to tune out, but stay tuned in the best you can, all right? Have mercy on me, O God, he prays. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict. And justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. 
Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You do not delight in sacrifice. That sounds familiar. Or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. So my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Okay. Verse 3, David says, I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. David owned his sin in this prayer, didn't he? You know, it's kind of like he's saying, hey, I failed to pray. Lead me not into temptation. And I fell to temptation. I was enticed. I fell. I failed to pray. Deliver me from evil. And I partnered with evil. But I own it, God. I'm not making excuses. I see my transgressions. I'm willing to look at them honestly acknowledge them and ask you to forgive me. He's embracing conviction. Embracing conviction, healthy conviction. So conviction comes by the spirit to lead you to repentance. Conviction tells you the truth and gives you hope for freedom from sin. Shame's a different thing. We struggle with this. That's why I'm pointing it out. Shame comes from the devil. And it leads to destruction. Shame speaks lies in your ear. It isolates you. It leads to despair and ultimately more sin. It is unproductive. It's the way I think about it. But I'm an engineer. I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. It's an acknowledgement and an embracing of conviction. In verse 4, he says, you're... Right in your verdict, God, justified when you judge. So Bathsheba eventually gives birth and their son becomes ill, very ill. And David starts praying fervently for the life of his son, um, but the son dies. And in this line, David is showing that he accepts the consequences of his sin. He does not blame God. He does not withdraw and distance himself. Actually, when he hears the news that the son had passed, he gets up from his place of grief, from his fervent prayers. And the next line is, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Right? That's evidence he didn't blame God. That's evidence he's not withdrawing and isolating. He's not filled with shame, but he goes, you're right in your verdict. You're justified when you judge. I worship you. In verse 7, he says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. This is an amazing line. David believes even his heinous sins can be forgiven, doesn't he? I mean, (laughs) he's a king who sees a woman and 
sends people to bring her to commit adultery, right? And send her home. That's pretty rough, man. That's heinous. <laughs> and then it's like she sends word, hey, I'm pregnant, you know? What are you going to do? <laughs> what does he do? He schemes to make, to, he brings her husband home from war, hoping he'll sleep with his wife and it can all go away. Sweep it under the rug. This is bad. You're getting in deep, Dave, right? It doesn't work because Uriah is so honorable. Read the story. And, um, and so he's like, I got no choice left but to kill him off. So he does. He doesn't hire some hit, man. It's God's own people. <laughs> Commanders of the Lord's army are told by their king to set up Uriah to be killed by the enemy forces and brought into the cover-up. He's bringing other people into his sin. This is rough, right? This same guy says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. What kind of forgiveness does David believe in? Full. There's a fullness to the forgiveness that David believes in. How about you? Is that the forgiveness you believe in? Or do your sins seem unforgivable in your own eyes? How often are we forgiven but guilty in our own eyes? How often are we cleansed but still walk around feeling dirty? What forgiveness do you believe in? It's not the forgiveness of the Lord if that's the case. It's not the forgiveness David believed in. What if we believed in a forgiveness that results in redemption, reconciliation, and acceptance from our Heavenly Father? How would it change our lives and the world if we really believed in that? Think about it. It's a total game changer. It is in my life. It's been a total game changer. There's probably nothing more significant in my whole life than when I actually personally experienced the forgiveness of God to that level. When I finally, it finally broke through and I finally believed that he truly forgave my sins and canceled my debt, gave it to Jesus, and Jesus paid it on my behalf a total game changer. And it was the only thing that actually empowered me to have lasting freedom from sin. My shame didn't help me. I stayed caught in my own cycles of sin and shame and sin and shame and sin and try again and fail again and feel horrible about it until that full forgiveness broke through and I actually received it. I actually came to believe like David believed that I could be whiter than snow. Sometimes I still have to remind myself, but the battle's won. My life is transformed. If yours hasn't been yet, you need to seek a personal experience of the full forgiveness of the Lord that David believed in. Seek it till you find it. Reminds me of that verse. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Keep knocking till you get through that door. All right. Verse 10 says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David doesn't just own his sin. He doesn't just ask for forgiveness, accept the consequences, but he turns away from his sin and asks God to empower him to go the other way. That's what true repentance looks like. My heart's been evil. Would you make it pure so I can walk in your way, God? 
My desires enticed me. I gave in to temptation. Would you make my spirit steadfast so it doesn't happen again, God? That's what repentance looks like. Verse 11, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Remember David's story from before he became king? This is the guy making music and writing poetry in the wilderness with God and some sheep. (laughs) But he had all this one-on-one time with God that's incredible, right? That whole man after God's own heart thing was cultivated over all this time in the presence of God. And then Saul screws up as king and through the prophet Samuel, David's anointed and the spirit of God rests on him. And he's lived in that for years now before this screw up with Bathsheba. So this line in the prayer, don't cast me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me is loaded, isn't it? God, my sins deserve exile and death. You could do to me what you did to Saul. But man, I've tasted your goodness before. I know how good you are, God. I've lived in your presence and experienced your goodness. Your spirit's been upon me. Please don't take that from me. I'm so sorry for what I did. I'll do anything. I can accept any of the consequences of my sin, but this one, don't take your spirit from me. I want to live in your presence. Restore me. In verse 17, he says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. So David knows there are religious ceremonies for atonement. There are sacrifices that can be given. But what God wants is repentance. And so he says, my sacrifice is full ownership of my sins. No excuses. All I can do is appeal to your nature. God, you said you're gracious and compassionate. You said you're slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I appeal to that. I got nothing else. But here's my sin. I own it. That's all I can do is bring it to you. Remember we talked about the blue dot in your maps app when you open it up and how we just needed to acknowledge where we're at when it comes to prayer. It's so true of confession and repentance, right? God, (laughs) here's the map. If I'm honest with myself, I'm not in a very good place. See my blue dot? But Lord, would you meet me here and lead me home? That's a good thing to do. And he's faithful to do so. Okay, the last thing from David's prayer I want to take a peek at is when he says, may it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. And you're like, what? (laughs) All this like personal confession and repentance going on, right? And then he starts talking about the city, like the broader community. What's up with that? I think he realizes that his sin has an effect on the entire community. There's a lot of examples of that in the Old Testament. We don't have time to look at it right now. Um, But we're one body in Christ. It's still true today. We're one body here at New Day. So your sins have an effect on the whole family, guys. Even if the sin is committed just between you and the bottle, just between you and the screen in front of you, no one knows about it. It has an effect on the entire body of believers here today. Think about it like a sinus infection. (laughs) 
right? You get this thing going on up here, right? Your nose and your sinuses and parts of your head feel it. But the whole body's affected. You can come down with fever. You get fatigued. Think about how much harder your lungs have to work to get oxygen into your bloodstream to do all the stuff the body does, right? This infection affects the whole body. And the same is true with sin. When we sin, even if you're just a nose, it affects us all. It affects us all. The whole New Day body is fatigued and weakened by your sin, by my sin. So it's good news and it's bad news, though, guys. <laughs> it kind of seems like all bad news, doesn't it? <laughs> the bad news is that's serious, right? It ratchets up the serious meter on sins that I didn't think were so serious because it's just between me and God and I can rationalize it. Not anymore. You can't because you came to church today and Bill told you otherwise. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> that's the bad news. But the seriousness of it is helpful if we embrace conviction. It's not helpful if you turn to shame. It'll, it'll destroy you. <laughs> But if you feel the conviction of the seriousness of sin and you bring it to Jesus, it's good. It's helpful. All right, the good news, that's not the only good news. The other good news is we're a body. We're meant to rally around that nose with the infection and help it get better. You're not alone in the recovery from the infection of sin. Our physical bodies have systems to deal with an infection. And there are systems in the spiritual body to help us deal with sin. James 5, 16 is a great example. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So some of the systems for dealing with sins in the spiritual body of Christ is accountability, confession, prayer, which is what our series is about, and forgiveness. Accountability because we can keep ourselves from sin. We cannot make a mess if we have connection and accountability with one another, right? Can keep us from sin. Confession because when we have sinned, we need to talk about it with somebody. We need to ask them to pray with us, to join us in our recovery. And prayer is the recovery. And forgiveness is what we need for every sin. It kind of brings us full circle, doesn't it? brings us back to forgive us our debts. We also have forgiven our debtors, which is where we started today. Perspective seven, prayer gives and gains forgiveness. <clears throat> so for today's part of our prayer series, here's the challenge. Keep this body whole and connected. Offer prayers of confession and forgiveness. Do it all the time. As an individual, let's do this as a body. Let your prayers lead you to action. Reconcile with others. Forgive those who wrong you. Seek to say you're sorry for those that, you've, that you have wronged. All right. This is the end of the series. Little tear. I've been loving it. <laughs> a lot more could be said about prayer. We didn't get to it all. <laughs> like we could. Here's our eight perspectives again. If you want to grab a picture, last week was a better week because there wasn't that black thing in the corner. Use these. I challenged you uh, to take notes of these eight perspectives, right? 
get them down and then use them to develop your prayer life. You know, use the model prayer that Jesus gave us, the Lord's prayer as a structure for your prayers daily, right? And then learn to improvise on it. You know, hallowed be your name. You can think of Isaiah 6, like we talked about. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And whoa, I'm a man of unclean lips and an impure heart, which leads right to forgive us our our debts, right? You can start to improvise on it. But the structure that Jesus gave us in the Lord's Prayer is something we can build into our daily prayer life and then jump off of. Would you guys stand up? We're getting ready to wrap up this morning. I can think of no better way to do it than to do what Marilee had us do last week, and that's to read the Lord's Prayer all together in unison. So let's do that, all right? Are you ready? Some, some of us are a little rustier than others when we stand up. Sometimes I stand up and I, I just need a second. Oh, I got an amen over here. Yep, okay. Give you a second. All right, now we're ready. <laughs> let's pray it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen.